Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. Welcome to Love Life. You're sitting on the couch with Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And we're talking today about do you want sex or love this Valentine's Day? Now, this is for singles, but it could be for people in relationships. Jane's going to tell us a little bit more about what this means. Look, I just think it's interesting that so many people that are really desiring a relationship, you know, this is what they are putting their heart into. It's what they are wanting to manifest. But they bring sex into a dating experience too soon. So all they end up with is sex and no relationship, no love. So I really just wanted to explore where's this coming from, you know, what can we do to help people to connect in a more loving way rather than in a sexual way too soon. Now, we're not pointing the finger at men here because women are totally guilty of this too, correct? Absolutely correct. Okay. Okay. So getting into the sex versus love, should we look at sex first, Jane? That's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Look, there's many different reasons, but one of the ones I'd like to explore is that are a lot of women that feel that when they've dated somebody a certain number of times, they need to have sex. They've got to put out. And in fact, it was really interesting. I did a radio, a talkback radio segment not that long ago where we had callers uh, voting or ringing in and voting. Do you think you should have sex? If a man pays for a meal, should the woman have sex with him that night? And I was, in, I knew there were a lot of women that felt that yes, they did. That does mean they have to have sex or they felt they should. But I was just overwhelmed with how many intelligent women really believed that. They really believed it. And I just want to break that down straight away. I just think that is that is not at all what somebody paying for your dinner means. There isn't a sense of entitlement because they paid for your meal. But it's important for guys to understand that that thought process does go through the minds of some women. So there are also women that feel they do have to have sex quite soon in the dating process and they don't know how to say no to somebody putting the hard word on them. So when a guy is enjoying a woman's company and he goes in for the pash or he goes in for, you know, the big tight groin hug or he says, you know, do you want to come back to my place? A lot of women go into being inner children here. They go back to being 16 or 18 years old and they're quite unsophisticated in how they handle that. I actually once had a lady that rang me that said, I want this member taken off of your books. And I said, oh, what's happened? And she said, can you believe it? He wanted to have sex with me on the first date. And I said, oh, congratulations. (laughs) I know it's a bit naughty of me, isn't it? And she said, what? And I said, you know, there are a lot of women that would love a man to find them sexually attractive. The fact that you've got a guy, you've met this guy who finds you sexually attractive, you know, that's something you don't have to worry about. Men find you sexually attractive. That's a great thing for you. And she said, yes, but how rude. What, what sort of girl does he think I am? You know, there's all these childhood labels that we have around this. Of if you do have sex too soon or if a man thinks you would, it means that you're the S word. Can we use words like that or oh, not? Oh, why not? <laughs> all right, that they think you're a slut or that they think that you're sexually promiscuous or that, you know, you're a good time girl. All those different labels that are 
so schoolyard labelled. And I think it's time that we have these conversations with adults to really look at the old story and give it a new story, so you know. I thought that Sex in the City had already sorted some of this out, but it actually really hasn't because we still haven't had a proper dialogue anywhere in society about this kind of thing. You know, this idea of women owning their sexuality. Can you be like Samantha in Sex and the City and have a different partner every day, but somehow not you know, be perceived at those those lower sluttier levels? Can you still be seen as owning your own power, having your boundaries, having your sophistication, being quite a good catch? Can that, you know, combination actually exist in the real world or does it get really muddy and really blurred and the minute sex is involved, we go into boxes, we go into labels, we, we default back to old, whether it's cultural beliefs, religious beliefs, insecure beliefs. What do you think, Jane? I think it gets really muddy and dirty real quick. I think in a perfect world it would be wonderful to have, you know, if if women choose to, to be the Samanthas of this world. Absolutely. And there are certainly some women that absolutely can achieve that. But the majority of women can't. And it does get very muddy. It does get very labelled. And it just ends up so confused. And you've got the guys, you know, if you sit a guy down and ask him what his best fantasy would be, it probably would be that women would just put out all the time, right? But then when it doesn't work because it goes back to these ancient archetypes of the virgin versus the, the prostitute. And for women, unfortunately, we do seem to go into either one box or the other and there's not a whole lot of grey area. Well, the grey area is where we're at now in the 21st century in Western society, trying to figure out how you be sexually active without donning a label of either, you know, saint or sinner. Yeah, it's a tricky path to follow or to, to journey on, absolutely. Um, look, I think that the first thing is to, you know, when I was just talking about the power of women being able to say no in a really flirtatious and fun way is so important. Teach us how, Jane. Teach us how women and girls can do this. Look, it's so important and it's so simple. You know, I would say something as simple as, I have really enjoyed getting to know you tonight. You know, it's been a fantastic evening. I've had a lot of fun. I'm just not ready to go there yet. And it is that simple. And all that he hears is that you've enjoyed his company, so he's been validated that, yes, you've had a good time. And then he hears the word, yet. Because men are thinking with their penis often in the early stages of dating. So if they're not thinking with their penises, they're actually just looking at you as a friend anyway. That's the difference. So take it as a compliment. Don't take it as a negative. But you just simply say, I'm not ready to go there yet. And if he's a keeper, if he's not a player, but he's a real keeper, that's going to get you the next date. And so you're getting another opportunity to get to know him better. And then he does the same thing and you say exactly the same thing again. I've had a great night, not ready to go there yet. So the biggest challenge in this is going to be for women who their pattern has always been that they do, for lack of a better word, put out. So, you know, oh, he's bought me dinner. Uh, It's like sex is the currency. Maybe they've just always had that sort of a lack of boundary or they've never been taught so they have always used sex or fallen into sex or given out sex freely and that sort of a thing. So for the women who would like to change that about themselves, it's all going to go back to our common theme, Jane, of self-love and self-esteem because they're going to have to really dig down deep inside themselves to pull up almost the nerve, the courage and the personal power to be able to stay in those very new situations where you want to impress, you're feeling a bit, you know, nervous and all of that, to actually be able to stand your ground and, and, and stay 
kind of no is in the nicest possible way and in a way that's not no forever, like you've just said, Jane. It's a no, not yet. But even doing that is going to be very, very hard for some women. Look, it is going to be very hard and I, I don't, you know... Uh... Don't dismiss how I'm not meaning this to come across as an easy thing to do. It sounds so simple, but it is going to be tough for them for the first few times that they do this. It's about trying something new to get a different result. So it's probably perfect for women that are a bit fed up with, they've had a lot of relationships. Perhaps they've had lots of relationships that kind of go that six or eight weeks. There are a lot of people that find that they can get through sort of two or even three month relationships and then they end and they're thinking, what's going on? I've got this pattern occurring. Well, this is what I'm going to suggest as you try something different, that you hold off on sex entering a relationship too soon. Now, as you say this to the guy, one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to go, oh, well, I'm not interested in seeing her anymore. I want you to consider that that is dodging a bullet. You've just avoided chemically bonding through oxytocin with a man that isn't actually a keeper. If he is only there for sex, that's what he wants. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, except it's not going to turn into love. So if he therefore hears the word yet, hears that you've enjoyed his company, he thinks terrific. Let's have another date. Maybe I'll get to have sex with her then. That might be his motivation. You don't know, but you get to have another date. And as you have this next date, you're actually giving him an opportunity to get to know you even better. And over time, what you're helping the guys to do is kind of go from penis to heart. And that's what we want to try and get them to do. And for guys, you know, there are actually some guys that I suggest putting brakes on having sex. I've got a few guys that I've said no sex for 90 days. And they've gone, what? (laughs) I know, I know. It's a big one, isn't it? And I know, there's been quite a few meltdowns over that. So this is interesting because a girlfriend of mine who has all the trouble that we're talking about, she, she, she gives her body away way too easily and is genuinely, utterly perplexed about why she cannot find a lasting relationship with anyone. And I mean, the woman is like 35 years old, she hasn't figured this out yet. It's so obvious for those of us standing on the outer looking in, you know, but for her she just doesn't understand. Um, and so she met a guy and she was doing her usual throw herself at him because that's how she does the courting ritual. And he said to her, uh, no, sorry, I have a no sex for 30 days rule. And she had never heard this before and it knocked her for six. So the up there at a dinner party, she said, Rebecca, Rebecca, oh my God, I've got a new rule. It's the no sex for 30 days rule. It's brilliant. It's a loophole. I can use it without offending people and it's the best thing ever. So Jane, you've got a no sex for 90 days rule, a bit more extreme. Tell us what your yeah. rule Okay, look, I actually, I also have, have, clients that I say no sex for 30 days, no sex for so many dates, they'll all be given a different period of time based on what challenges they're facing. But the particular guys that I do the no sex for 90 days rule are the guys that have said to me, you know, I I find it really easy to date. I find it easy to meet nice women. I find it easy to have sex, but it's all getting a bit empty and I don't know what I'm looking for. And they come to me because they're hoping that A, I can help them to match up with girls that I, with my wisdom, might give them a better chance of a successful relationship. Or B, that they're going to meet women of a different caliber that they're not necessarily meeting in their existing social networks. And so at that point, that's when we'll identify that they really are easy to please in the sense of easy to find lots of women attractive easy to be able to have lots of dates and easy to turn it into a sexual or an intimate relationship. But they get to that somewhere between 8 and 12 week mark and they're usually bored 
or they're waking up one day and going, you know, who is this girl? We've got nothing in common. So I'm trying to help them to be... Sorry, Joe, I was going to say, because they're not understanding, are they, that the the sex too soon can actually ruin a heartfelt connection? Yes. So what I'm actually doing then is saying, I want you guys to start to qualify your buyers. You know, you spend more time buying a, a flat screen TV or something even bigger, a car or a house, than you do a partner. You just look across the bar, boy meets girl, she's cute, game on, three hours later you're having sex. You know, it's just not responsible. It's not adult behavior. It's fun. It's flirtatious. It's sexual. That's all great, but it's not going to get you a healthy lifetime partner. So if you're desiring a partner, you've got to be more consciously aware. And I've just said to the guys, you've got to keep the penis in the pants. You know, it's okay if the penis gets off the couch in terms of, yes, there's a reaction there. I find her desirable. That's fine because that is the difference, as I said earlier, between a potential partner and a friend. However, these guys are liking this wisdom because they're recognizing that sex is getting in the way of them qualifying who potentially could be a good match for them. What is it that I really desire in a relationship? You know, so this is almost the opposite of, you know, last week when we were talking about the list data. This is almost opposite of that where they've got no list at all. And I want to help them to qualify the buyer. So then we get down to what are some key qualities that you really are looking for in a partner? And whatever it is that they give me, I then give them some tools to help them to how are you going to identify that in a woman quite quickly and easily. And we come up with a few ways that they can do that so that they can start to qualify their buyer. Then that is who I want them to now start dating. And then from that, I want them to give themselves a chance to really dig deeper to see if this person does have more of that qualities that they're looking for through the dating process without bringing sex into it. Because as soon as you have sex, it gets weird. It always gets weird when you have sex. It just brings up so many insecurities for people. Most people, it's it's pretty rare for two people to connect and have a, a really great sexual experience. For most people, it's kind of awkward and clumsy and you're learning about the other person and what it is that they might like or what they don't like or you're putting on a performance, you know, please notice me, I'm great in bed. Now, that actually brings us to another segment of this, which is the beautiful woman who's usually fabulous woman, ticks loads of boxes, however, through low self-worth is thinking, I'm really good at sex. If I just have sex with him, he'll fall in love with me. How could he not? I'm great at it. Now, do you yeah, know any yes. girls and, who do that? Yes. And that's, we're thinking the same lines because I'm going to say too now. <laughs> um, and could you sum it up well when you talk about sex isn't the glue that holds us together. They're using sex as like a powerful thing or a trading tool or a, a way to ensnare somebody or keep them or put forward maybe even a fake version of themselves, even to hide behind. Because if you're crazy wild in bed, well, then we never have to talk about my real emotional vulnerability or we never have to quite go there. I can kind of hide behind the, you know, putting on a almost like a costume, so to speak, or a hat or an identity. And most people can sustain that sort of false operating personality for a period of somewhere between 8 and 12 weeks or six, 6 to 12 weeks. And you'll find it's very common that a lot of people will say, 
I can't get past the six week relationship mark with any relationship or I can't get through the eight or nine week mark and they will have a pattern of that and that is their point where they've started the relationship with people pleasing please like me I want to be liked I want to be connected with you I've met you I think you're fantastic I'm going to do everything I can to please you including introduce sex and make it the best sex I possibly can and then they get to a point of exhaustion of I can't sustain this because it's not authentic it's not who I am but then the cracks start to appear and then you've got the other person going hang on who is this person I've just woken up in bed side by side with this person that I know nothing about we've got nothing in common so that is why I'm saying it's time to pause on sex on when to introduce sex into a relationship because it really is not the glue that holds it together and something that we need to go into in a little bit of depth about this topic is where it all begins. And it, of course it begins in childhood, again in that programming, in the role modeling, in the way that we first come into understanding ourselves and our bodies and the currency and the energy exchange we have with the opposite sex. I you know for, I think we're getting better now because there's so many mums and dads who, you know, either had parents who did go through the, the feminist or, you know, we're a bit more open and learned sex ed at school. So, you know, I know the mums and dads I know are a lot more open at talking about, you know, how the birds and the bees actually work for their kids. How that translates to how their kids then go out socially as teenagers or in their 20s and what happens from them, you know, there's probably a few loops lost there in terms of how that education carries through the way we talk to our girls uh, about the way that they um, yeah, their boundaries, their yeses, their noes, um, what they're expected to do, what they're not expected to do, um, their over-sexualisation and all this sort of thing. Um, in fact, the Sandelfin that I referenced earlier, uh, who, who was very surprised to meet a man with a no sex for 30 days rule, <laughs> um, you know, he really was her little power to her wake-up call because she became a bit self-analytical after that happened to her. And she sat down with me one night and she was saying, you know, I've been thinking about when I was younger and, you know, I used to go around to my cousin's house, mum and dad and all lots were busy drinking and having dinner outside at the big table and the kids were left to entertain and we just, they put on movies that were probably a bit too PG for what I was ready for and I was seeing all this promiscuity, you know, in the women on the screen and she said the first time a boy ever showed me interest when I was a teenager, I went down on him because that's what I had seen these girls doing on television I didn't know. I, I thought that's what you did and she said the boy was really shocked but it set a pattern for her and Jane, I know that you're not afraid to get a little bit personal with your own, you know, growing up and details about this as well. Look, I, I think this is such an important conversation to have. The recent um, showing of a TV series, Puberty Blues, which just blew me away. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it was interesting when I talked to a lot of my girlfriends about the different reactions that people had to this TV series. Now, I'd seen the original movie back in the uh, – was set in the early 80s, um, and that was my era. That was – this is my age. I was growing up then in teenage years. And it actually was my story, hanging out on surf beaches, with wanting to be in with cool kids, not really knowing how to do that and definitely turning to uh, sexual in activities far too early. But what I was really fascinated about in this, watching this teleseries, which I felt went into it in a lot more detail, a lot more graphic, was I was very aware of what I experienced and was portrayed in the movie of 
female detachment of, you know, you just shut your mind and heart off and you just did the exercise because the payoff was that I would have a boyfriend. The payoff was that I'd be included with the cool kids and that that made me feel validated. What really surprised me was to see the emptiness in the boys. Now, here I am at 49 and I had not ever, with all of the work I've done on myself, I'd never considered that the boys were just as empty emotionally in this or had a total lack of connection in this. And I was excited to see that portrayed because I thought it was very one-sided and it just wasn't. How do we solve that massive... I've been seeing quite a bit lately in in media media that I follow anyway is that there's this real um, like turning over a belief system right now about fact that we always put men in a box by saying men are going to sex, men always think about sex, men are all about sex, blah, 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 blah. And actually, they're not necessarily. It's just how we pigeonhole them. And someone actually in a blog forum sums this up. This is stayed in my head for weeks because this guy put it so plainly and simply. It's so true in a way I'd never heard before. He said, girls are all outwardly about emotions and feelings and love, but the sex stuff they push down and hide on the inside. Boys are all outwardly emotionally about sex and being turned on and porn and whatever, but in mo- but their emotions are like they push down on the inside. So it's like we we're complete opposites of each other as genders in that regard. Um, but what happens with that with this this almost like this hype around boys and their sexualization is we kind of forget the fact that boys actually do very deep heartfelt emotional connections because why? Because they're human beings and gender. They get to a point where gender got nothing to do with it. It's about human love and human connection. And I've seen surveys they've done with high school boys about basically asking the same question we're asking today. Do you want sex or love? They want love. They want relationships with girls. They actually do. I love it. That's very exciting, isn't it? It is really exciting. But I also think there's another little problem that needs to be addressed, or not so little. And I think, you know, Dr. Phil actually has done an episode on this quite a few years ago, but it quite alarmed me and I'm seeing evidence of it now. I've got um, a 13-year-old daughter and 11-year-old, so I'm starting to observe different things in you know, their, their sporting groups or whatever where they're interacting with children that are a bit older. And this new habit of or new practice of um, oral sex being the new goodnight kiss, and it's quite alarming how it is just not considered sex and that a lot of teenagers when interviewed about oral sex are actually told, uh, will say, oh, that's not sex, that's just, you know, it's just a kiss, it's just whatever. And they're actually just performing oral sex on each other, particularly more women onto the men. And, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's just quite alarming. And it was only that I... Well, I don't know if I live in a box, but I find that really mind-blowing. I do find it disturbing and it's not it's not because they're poo-pooing sex, it's not because sex is wrong, evil, nasty, dirty. No, no, no. It's about appropriateness of age and timing, but but even more so understanding what you're doing. And I don't mean technically, can you give a good blowjob? I mean, what you're doing emotionally. Are you ready for this emotionally? And you see kids on forums say, what's the right age to have sex? Because I'm 14 or I'm 17 and my boyfriend. And the answer is, 
do you know what the answer is? The answer is practically you're ready to have sex and you're ready to be a parent. That's the answer. <laughs> but, That's you know, absolutely right. Yes. Yes. Responsibility in terms of your self-esteem, his self-esteem, your emotional, you know, how, and I know as kids we don't have a lot of that stuff because we're still learning, but our kids today don't have nearly enough strong tools in their emotional toolkits to navigate any of this stuff they're being thrown into too fast too soon. Um, That's right. I don't know I don't know what we do about it unless as mothers and fathers we take on some of the responsibility of educating, talking to our teens, not just about um, the birds and the bees, like the anatomical, you know, how it all works, the mechanics of it, but talking about the emotional mechanics of how this stuff works. You know, just on that show that I was watching, there was two other distressing uh, stories that came out of it is that they're in just about every uh, school in the US are recruiters and they're usually girls around the age of 15 and they're recruiting 14 and 15-year-old girls to have part-time jobs as prostitutes. So they're basically, they don't see themselves as prostitutes, they just, they go to parties and they have sex, either oral sex or penetrative sex they usually earn about $100 at a party each and they can't, they just think, why should I go and work for $25 at McDonald's when I can be earning this sort of money? And their whole motivation was to get the money to be going to the shopping mall to be buying expensive clothes and makeup. And these girls, when you, these girls were interviewed, they were full camera, stunning, beautiful appearance, beautifully groomed, well spoken, educated women or girls who, in my opinion, had no emotional intelligence at all. It just was shut down. It was not there. It was completely about external validation. And the parents appeared to be really beautiful parents who were completely bewildered, did not know what to do. Uh, and the third story is the Rainbow Group, which actually was only discussed um, a couple of nights ago with a, a group of women I know. Uh, now, the Rainbow Group is a group of girls who all wear different colour lipstick and they all perform oral sex on, on the same guy to get a rainbow marking up his penis. Now, this is where, Jane? Who wears? This is in Australia. This is happening in Australia, in Australian what schools. Uh, you're talking 14 to 16. It's alarming. It's really alarming. It's It's just it's all about wanting to be validated of their worth wanting to fit in wanting to feel good about themselves you know we only ever do what makes us feel good even if it's misguided and it only makes us feel good in that moment that is the payoff for what we're doing it is the payoff. this has to be such a wake-up call whether you are an adult who indulges in your version of this or you're 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 a mother or a father with kids at home or whatever Everything Jane and I talk to in every episode, you're going to find. It always is going to boil down to yourself and your self-love because that's where all our behaviors come from. Okay. We know that these kind of behaviors, um, they're all coming from that place of hollowness, of emptiness, of just wanting to be liked, of wanting to be all the stuff that we do when we don't know how to give that kind of validation. Now, they've been, been nodding their heads, yeah, 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 who doesn't know this? There's still genuinely people that five who haven't figured this out yet. Okay. So, the tools, the basic tools we can leave you with today, no matter what age you are, when you are navigating the sex versus the love with another person. So again, the basic building blocks that people need, no matter what age they are, in their, in their emotional toolkit to navigate our sex and the love question, anywhere they may confront it in their life, are 
Okay, if it feels good emotionally to you, emotionally, that it is really genuine and real, go for it. But if you feel that you're doing something to please another, to gain some sort of validation back to you, please don't do it. The way that, you, that you're going to know this, people, is you have to talk to your body. It's, it's all held in your body. It's as simple as the sick, like the yuck feeling versus the good feeling. And it might be in your tummy. It might be in your throat, you know, where it might be in your heart. You, we've got to start using our bodies more as rudders as both. You know, that, that this is what fears us, that our emotions and our feelings. Okay, because and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. We exist so much above the neck. We, we're in total mental energy all the time, and we forget that our bodies are screaming at us about how we actually feel about certain situations. So, you know, intellectually, you can always explain something to yourself, or write it off, or you know, talk yourself out of it, or into it, or put pros and cons columns. That's not how you approach the biggest, the biggest questions and choices in life. You approach those by tuning in to your Stomach, your heart, your chest, your hunch, whatever you want to call it. I love that. I think that's absolutely fabulous. And I'd love to just give one final tip for parents that I do think really can help. Now, it is so important for our children to feel validated in their worth from your love as a parent. And the best way to do that is really simply Get them constantly, invite them to be in your world. Simple things like, and it's really cool for the opposite gender. So for the dad to do it to the girl and uh, to the daughter and the mum to do it to the son because that is the first experiences that they have with the opposite gender. And do things like, you know, I'm going to the supermarket to get some milk. Do you want to come with me? And initially you might get the rolled eyes of why would I want to go to the supermarket? But then the next time it's, I'm going to the hardware store, I'm only going to be half an hour. Do you want to come with me? Or, oh, I'm just going to go walk the dog. Do you want to come with me? Oh, I'm just going to go and do a bit of gardening. Do you want to garden with me? Just keep asking them to be with you. Now, it doesn't matter if they say no to you 20 times or what might really surprise you, they'll look at you a bit strange and go, what? And then the next thing is yes. Because what you're doing is giving them a clear sign of, I want you with me. That's that validates you. That's beautiful, Jane. It's as simple as that, isn't it? It's as simple as doing things like looking in our children's eyes when we communicate them, no matter what age they are, if they're, if they're a toddler or a baby or if they're a 17 year old. It's, you know, when you look in somebody's eyes, what you're saying with nonverbal communication is, well, I see you, but it's like at a deeper level, I see you. I acknowledge the soul inside you. You know, I I I I acknowledge, I acknowledge your presence, your essence, that the, all that you are. Um, and you know, we need to do this with our partners as well. You know, couples can go for weeks without even looking in each other's eyes when they get busy. Um, and that's when we start to lose the connections that feed us the most. I love that. It's very powerful, and it's powerful for all relationships. It's powerful to do that with friends, with family members, with life partners, with work colleagues, with anyone who comes in your path. Stop, be in the moment, look in their eyes and see them. You know, we're usually on a computer or watching a TV or cooking at the kitchen or whatever. We're doing two activities at once instead of stopping and looking at that person. I see you, I hear you, I feel you. Another big one there is the text messaging. I'm, I'm hearing stories now about parents going to pick up the children from school. Is the first thing your child sees when they come running out of the gate so excited to tell you what they've done that day, mum at the steering wheel with her eyes glued to the phone? Or is mum got the phone switched off and in the handbag and she's 
up and open and receiving in a position of eyes meeting the child, eager to hear what the child's done that day, like a proper welcome. Um, and again, might not even be children. I said this with my husband. If he dares take that blackberry out when we are at dinner, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually heard another one from Oprah who said, the second that you see your children's eyes when they open in the morning, you connect with them and just, you know, good morning, it is so beautiful to see you. That sets the day up. It sets, they are validated from that first second. It's so powerful. We do walk around saying, oh, my kids know I love them. We all love each other in the family. You know, we say I love you. But, you know, sometimes it does need to be more than that. You need to put a bit of effort into to helping other human beings around you know that they do feel loved to then in turn build their own uh, love tanks, fill their love tanks up nice and full so they feel happy, confident, self-esteem, and then leads into all the stuff we talked about today where, you know, they don't get led into making better, worse, negative choices in their lives because they're feeling like they need to prove something, they need to validate something, they feel hollow, they feel empty, and they need other people or activities to fill it. Whether it's sex, drugs, junk food, you know, addictions, whatever it is, it all goes back to self-esteem. Jane, I think we better leave it there today. Lovely talking to you as always. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to be able to talk about such an important topic. We wish everybody a beautiful Valentine's Day filled with self-nurturing and self-love. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on Love Life. Life is perfect. I'm not trying. It's just happening. And it's a beautiful day.